Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, we have a Where Are They Now episode where we look back at season two of Tiny Seed Tales, and we talk to Brian and Scotty, the founders of Gather. If you haven't heard Tiny Seed Tales, it's a podcast that I host, and we do heavy production value on it, where I have voiceovers, background music, and we cover the struggles, the victories, and failures of SaaS founders. And I do between eight and 12 interviews over the course of a year. So it's about every month or two with a founder or founders who are going through Tiny Seed. So season one ran through 2019 and was Craig Hewitt, founder of Castos, who many of you have heard on this pod. Season two followed Brian and Scotty, who are a married couple who run Gather at gatherit.co. It is SaaS for interior designers. And that season aired, it looks like September and October, a little bit of November of 2020. And so those interviews, I believe, ended around summer of 2020, and then we aired them a month or two later. So it's been about 18 to 20 months since I've spoken with them. And during that season, they had struggles as the world entered COVID. They were not growing as quickly as they wanted. They were going up market. That was a big part of trying to raise their price and change who they were focused on. And I believe when they first started season two, episode one, they were around $4,000 of MRR. It may have been $4,500. And when we ended the season, they were just getting over a cash crunch and they were looking ahead to, I believe, double their MRR in the subsequent year. And so today in the conversation, we talk about how they've made it up market, how they're looking to double their MRR again this year and how their growth has accelerated since they found product market fit. And of course, you'll also hear my new segment, How Did You Know When You Had Product Market Fit? So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Brian and Scotty, founders of Gather. Brian and Scotty of Gather, welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be back. It is so nice to have you. Folks who listened to Tiny Seed Tales Season 2 will remember your trials and tribulations throughout that year of Tiny Seed. You were in Batch 1 back in, it would have been 2019. So you graduated, became alums, and uh, really your business has gone up and to the right since then. I mean, you were making progress. We were talking, you know, before we hit record, you were making good progress during the year, but really something kicked in that was, I I almost call it like a bootstrapper hockey stick, where it's not the Facebook, Google hockey sticks that talk about in Silicon Valley, but noticeable, noticeable upturn going from, you'd grow 500 MRR in a month, you'd grow a thousand, a thousand was like a decent month. And then suddenly it was like 2000, 2500, 2000, 3000. Like it, it was a really noticeable thing that you know, happened in really, I guess it was, it was mid 2021. So it's eight, eight or nine months ago. And when you started with Tiny Seed in the first year, you were doing like just over 4,000 a month. So under 50 grand a year, and you're on track now to 10 X that number by the end of this year. And my first question is, how does that feel to think about we're about to 10 X our business? Does that feel real? I think it feels real. I think that the thing that kind of startles me sometimes is thinking back to how slow things went in the first, you know, five years of Gather and how that 
compounding growth starts kicking in. But, you know, when you're living just in the moment and you're trying to set goals, for us, it's doubling this year. So, you know, you think, oh, well, we can double this year because we've doubled more than doubled last year. And then we doubled, you know, the year before. But I think it doesn't like where it really starts to get interesting and exciting is just that seeing the compound trajectory go steeper and steeper. And what do you think has been the cause of that? Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to tell exactly, you know, the reason for that growth. But I I attribute it to us finally kind of getting our footing with the right set of customer, like the right customer. Before, when we started Tiny Seed, we were, we were catering to a, a smaller design firm, a solo designer. And, you know, anybody who listened to Tiny Tales would know that we, we started to go towards the larger teams. And I think that saved us in the end, especially with COVID. You know, we did, we did find a couple of, there was some churn there during COVID, but it was, and we ended up on our exit checklist, sort of like when they, when we asked them why they churned, we added COVID. And there were a few that did say they were leaving because of COVID and they were always the smaller, the solo. And so I think that actually focusing on teams and building a platform geared towards team communication and collaboration, you know, especially for COVID teams looking to work remotely, that was a really, I don't know, it was, it was almost like we didn't know that was going to happen, but it was the best thing we could have done. And so when COVID happened, I think design teams were looking for a tool just like ours. So I think that was really beneficial. A big theme of your episodes of Tiny Seed Tales were moving up market. Every, every episode I kept saying, go up, you know, you're going up market, you're moving up market. This is the process and we don't know how long it's going to take. It seems to me it took longer than we all thought. But once that happened, that it really clicked all at once because your churn plummeted at that point, right? And you had increased your prices three or four times, which is kind of the definition of going up market. But it's almost like I remember you increased prices a couple times and I'm not sure your product had caught up with it yet. And I, I think it maybe took some development months, some cycles to, to get there. Do you, do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I agree. And also, you know, it occurred to me too that like when, when we were going through Tiny Seed, you know, and you were mentoring us on going up market. Somewhere, I think, towards the end of 2019, we decided to, to shut off self-service. And we went to a demo-only model. And we did that for almost a year while we were trying to build the product and gear it towards the customer that we were trying to attract and working on language and positioning. And I think that that was a good decision, even though it we didn't go real fast. We, we were going kind of slow that year or we were going sort of at the same speed. But we were learning a lot more from our customers because we were talking to them in sales demos and learning about what they need while we worked on the product. And then sometime, I think it was like the end of 2020, we turned the self-service back on. So we had a dual model, both sales demos and self-serve. And that's right around the time when things started to go up. So I think you're right. I think we had kind of found the right product for the customer that we were trying to attract up market and we gave them more flexibility as to how they chose to sign up and come into our funnel. Yeah. And and oftentimes growth like this comes from a lot of different factors hitting at once. And it can be hard to determine exactly was it one thing? Probably not. 
You know, it seems like it was a combination of things. I know that during that, it was kind of towards the end of Tiny Sea Tales. So it would have been, I think we recorded the ends of those, let's say in end of 2019, maybe. No, because we were in the pandemic. It had to have been during, it was, it was mid to late 2020 that we kind of recorded the end of those. And I remember that you were, you weren't growing as fast as you wanted and you wanted to both see if you could retain some customers, but also try to accelerate your short-term revenue. And so Scotty, you and Brian added a a consulting service in essence to, to where you were going to help your customers and you were going to charge them a monthly rate. You know, I think of it like design pickle, but for (laughs) interior designers where it's like pay us $800 a month, you know, or a thousand a month and like, I'll do all these things for you. Cause you know, folks who don't know, Scotty, you yourself used to work in the interior design space and I don't think we ever wrapped that up. So you want to let folks know, like, is that a a roaring success? Is that still happening or did it just fizzle out? Yeah. So sadly, or I don't know, however you want to look at it, it did not pan out the way we wanted it to. In hindsight, I think that's probably a good thing. It just, it required a lot more of my attention than I had anticipated. And literally I, I, I almost felt like I wasn't, you know, focusing on gather the product anymore. I was just focusing on gather services. And I was doing actually more of the work than I had anticipated doing myself. So I all of a sudden found myself in a job. I didn't really want that. And I couldn't really figure a way out of that quickly. You know, it's something that maybe over time could have I could have figured that piece out, but it just, the time, um, the ROI on it just was not there. So I ended up, I had like one firm that we were kind of piloting the program with, um, and they were really gracious and kind of let me stumble my way through it. And then we ended up just killing it after we were done with those two projects with them. So it's one of those bittersweet things perhaps, because it's like long-term, do I really want services in my SaaS? You know, at this point, I'm not sure that you would want that to be to stick around. But I know in the near term, there were, you were in a cash crunch for a bit and, you know, wanted to be able to pay your devs and, and do all that. So it's, it's an experiment. It was, it, we're entrepreneurs. We try a lot of things. Some of them don't work out. Many of them don't work out. And I consider this, this one of those. Yeah. So not sure if you know, but I have a new segment on Startups for the Rest of Us and it's called How Did You Know When You Found Product Market Fit? And I'm asking this of all the founders that come on the show, because it is, no matter how many times we talk about it, if you've never seen or achieved product market fit, it's still this very, I know it when I see it type thing. So I want to get one of your perspectives on, do you remember when that happened? And how did you know, you know, what that felt like? How did you identify it? Well, I guess for me, it wasn't like a binary black and white thing. Like you're right, you know it when you see it. And I definitely think we, we have it now and I feel confident. I just think that there's some signals that you can that you can look out for. So for us, like I said, it wasn't just like all of a sudden, you know, one day we went from, you know, zero to 60. But I can say like, you know, definitely churn's a big signal. So our churn had kind of been slowly dropping over time to the point where it got to be pretty predictable as to what, it, what range it would fall within. And it was to the low end of the margin. In fact, I even remember looking, we use bare metrics for our analytics. And, you know, they'll actually let you look at sort of where you lie in the cohort that you belong to as far as your revenue is concerned. And like we watched ourselves kind of go from like medium to not so good into like the best cohort repeatedly. So that was actually kind of an interesting way to to feel like we've got product market fit. And then 
you know, just having customers that stick around for a long time. So you can, you can watch your lifetime value just go up and up and up and up. And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, our lifetime value became 10x what it was just a couple of years prior. And a lot of that is because they're not turning out and they're happy. So those are signals that like indicated to me that we truly had product market fit and we were probably ready to start taking, you know, scaling more seriously. It's a good answer. Like I always say, it's a continuum and it sounds like it was, it's always a long process and it's never like, oh, now we have it. It's like, you still, you have it with a certain audience. You have it with a certain size. You know, if you went after a massive hotel chain, you wouldn't have it. And so you need different features and all that, but yeah, that's, that's a good perspective. So I want to regale you with a little story that happened summer 2021. I've logged into the tiny seed Slack and I see, I don't remember if it was advice needed or if I got a DM, but it was from Brian. And it was basically a, our hair is on fire. The site is, our entire app is catastrophically down. And I think of this, I'm just going to come out and say it. It was the worst moment. You know, I always ask what was the best and the worst since we last spoke. I think this was the worst moment for, for the two of you and gather your entire infrastructure crap. Like what, what happened with this? So first let's give the facts, like what happened. And then I'm going to ask you the question. You tell me the moment where you just, <laughs> what it felt like in that moment. Cause I've been there too. Yeah, that was awful. Yeah. I think I literally did, you know, text you in Slack and say, um, Hey Rob, do you know any really good DevOps guys? Which is always like the lead question to something really bad that's just happened. So yeah, we, you know, we, we run on AWS, all of our infrastructure, not to get too technical, but, you know, we used some, some automated infrastructure tools and processes and our developer who wasn't really that knowledgeable of the infrastructure setup, he tore down the infrastructure basically just by accidentally sort of running a script that he thought was innocuous and he brought the whole infrastructure down, meaning like he literally tore down the entire infrastructure, like deleted all the servers, like all the provisioning. And so that, of course, you know, crashed the app for our users. And it wasn't something that we could just, due to some technical reasons, we couldn't just press some buttons and then, you know, reload the, the infrastructure. It wasn't the best uh, time for me or Scotty. Me, me from the technical side and Scotty from like customers, you know, beating down our door. Yeah. And so you couldn't just run a script and redeploy things are on fire. Customers are probably calling in. I don't know if they have your number, but they're certainly emailing in live chat. Well, they, they can't live chat because it's down. So they're <laughs> emailing. Scotty, so what was that like? Well, so, you know, because I was doing support from the beginning and so many people have my personal email, my inbox was just like, you know, filled to the brim. And, you know, I mean, they weren't happy they were frustrated and they were, you know, and, and I think the frustrating thing for us was that we didn't know how long it was going to take to get it back up. So I would say, you know, our, our engineer would say, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours. Well, that turned into, I don't know, 14 hours, 16 hours. And, um, so basically I just kept saying to people, I finally stopped giving them a time frame, and I just would say, I'm very sorry. We're working on it. We're doing our best. Um, I did actually pick up the phone and call some, you know, important accounts that I wanted to reassure that, you know, this had nothing, this wasn't a data issue. Their data was safe. It was just the site is not accessible. And so it was damage control for sure. The thing that I realized, you know, once my blood pressure had dropped down, which I calmed down and 
sort of reevaluated the situation and maybe it took a couple days. But, you know, our customers were so forgiving, surprisingly forgiving. And I think in a way it made them realize like how valuable Gather was for them because they couldn't access it all day. And they were like, oh my gosh, you know, what would I do if I couldn't, if I couldn't use Gather ever <laughs> again? So in a way it was, it was, you know, it was awful, but it was also kind of encouraging to see how valuable we were for them. And I think it re- made them realize that as well. So that was interesting. That's pretty cool that you didn't lose any customers. It shows the level of trust that you've built with them, that they figured, hey, this is, this is a one-time thing, and, and although we're mad and frustrated, you know, we're not going to bail. The other interesting thing I find is there is a product market fit survey that Sean Ellis you know, developed, and one of the questions is, how disappointed would you be if you could no longer use product name? That's another way of how you knew you had product market fit, right? Yeah, that is pretty cool. And so I know that you were, Brian, you and I messaged and I said, hey, there's a few people, you know, in Tiny Seed or whatever that, that could help out. But you mentioned specifically that some Tiny Seed folks were like super helpful, you know, in correcting this. Yeah, it was amazing because when you're in a situation like that, you know, and you're like, who can I, who do I know? Like, who can I reach out to? Like, had I not had such a great, Tiny Seed Batch to reach out to, and then, of course, you know, yourself to reach out to. It would have been terrifying. So, yeah, I just jumped on Slack because, you know, obviously Tiny Seeds has a really great Slack community and just put out the the bat signal. And, yeah, several people actually kind of came and swooped in to, to help. Shout out to Andy Hawks. He was amazing. Yeah, let's give him a plug, loadster.app. He's in batch one as well. And Loadster is, I love, I actually love his H1. Your site has a breaking point. Let's find it before your users do. So it's load testing your web app. But yeah, he's, he's really good at all the DevOps stuff. And I know that he worked with you for like several hours and just, just to help, you know, cause it's, it's relationship. Like you're part of the same community. Yeah, it was amazing. He was, he like literally dropped everything he was doing to help us out and, you know, help you get the, the site kind of back online and point us in the right direction. So yeah, just having those relationships are just so critical. And I can't imagine going through the world without the the network that, you know, we built with Tiny Seed. So yeah, it, it was amazing. And obviously you helped out and we, we, we wound up finding some really awesome DevOps guys. And uh, so they got things back up and running over time. It took months, honestly, to really get things to the point where they were stable. And we're still working on things that aren't directly related to that whole incident, but just that made us realize how much technical debt and infrastructure debt we had gotten ourselves in over five years. And we, we have almost climbed out of that, which is a great feeling. But Yeah, it's that hidden cost of technical debt that you don't, you don't see it until it comes and bites you like that. Was the outage, how long did it wind up being? The, the, first, the first major, I mean, we had several, it was like a little roller coaster where there's one big dip and then there's a bunch of little twisty turns. The first one, I think, Scotty's probably about right. It was 20 hours-ish, probably. Catastrophic. Yeah, yep. awful. And then after that, it was sort of like we'd go down for an hour here, a couple hours there for, I don't know, probably a week or two. And then in the back end, we're just like scrambling to make stuff work. So it was like there was points where the site wasn't totally down, but like key features were not working. And that continued, I'd say, for you know two or three weeks at least. Uh, that's a bummer. Yeah. But you're, pre- you're pretty much wrapped with that. You dug yourself out of that technical debt. Yeah. Yeah. We've, it's a good place to be. 
Yeah, it's it's a bummer because you want to work on features and stuff, but you realize, you know, once you get to like any level of scale, and we're not super big or anything, but we're big enough that we can't mess around with core performance and, and infrastructure and reliability. It's just too important. So it's like, yeah, you, you do what you have to do and you pay the debt off and like hopefully you move on. I actually talked with Brian last week and he was asking me questions about, you know, you have this growth, so now you have more money. And oftentimes it's hard to decide where do you spend that? So what's been your process of if you grow 2,500 in a month, you grow 10 grand over the course of a few months. Suddenly that's recurring revenue because it's SaaS and it's the cheat code of business. But what do you do with that? Because I know that you don't want to put that in the bank. You don't, you know, you don't want to take it out and, and spend it on lavish vacations. You want to grow your company. That's what, you know, why you've been building it for this long. So what's been your process, your thought process behind how do we deploy this newfound capital? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, sp- <laughs> I spent, a, Scotty can attest to this. I spend like probably an unhealthy amount of time in like runway spreadsheets and, and try to try to like analyze all the, the avenues, I guess. I think what we kind of came to is we're really going to focus primarily on like brand building. So, you know, long-term play stuff, primarily, you know, content, like really high quality content and probably share that through community so I think that's probably where we'll spend a lot of our money and energy. We've also like had some decent success, I think, with advertising. So we'll be doing more of that. So it's kind of cool to see, you know, as revenue goes up and after you kind of get to the point where you're, all of your base expenses are met, then, you know, you can start to think about things like advertising and content being a percentage of, of MRR, a percentage of growth, and then sort of watching how that works. But... I'd say it's still kind of in the early days of us figuring out exactly what works, but I think for me, maybe, I don't know if Scotty feels the same way, but I'm comfortable with the next two years building a brand rather than always like jumping from, you know, how do we make enough revenue this month to stay alive? It's kind of, we're a little bit beyond that where we can sit back and go like, what kind of company do we want to build over the next three to five years? That's a better feeling for me. I was going to say, you know, I have this this kind of three-step mental model of in the early days, we're building a product and it's just all, it's writing code, it's trying to get people to use it, it's trying to get a few paying users. And then the next step, and that's usually, this is usually between, let's say, 10K and 20K MRR. It's like you're building a business and Gather became like a business under my definition around that time as well. And then the step after that is when you build, you're building a company and that's where you have a lot of choices. You start hiring, maybe you hire your first manager, you know, it's just a different, a different phase. And so I think you are solidly in that. Now we're building a business. Businesses have repeatable processes. They have repeatable marketing approaches. They usually have more predictable growth. And I feel like you're, you know, now squarely in that. With that in mind, Scotty, what are you most excited about? In true Tiny Seed Tales, end of end of episode fashion, you know, what are you most excited about over the next six to 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I think exactly what Brian's talking about is just building our brand. I'm sort of leading the charge on the content side um, since, you know, it's my industry and I'm starting finally, you know, like you said, when you're when you're first starting out, you're so heads down and just trying to build the product, sell it 
get users, you know, make sure you have product market fit. For me, I was deep into customer success and, you know, customer support. I've wiggled my way out of this, you know, actually being the, the front person on the support side, which is, is really freed me to focus more on what I'm more excited about, which is making, building relationships, building community with our, with industry partners and, and within the industry. So that's, I'm excited to focus on that this year now that I'm freed up to do that more. So yeah, looking forward to that. It's a luxury you have when you're not scrapping for survival to be able to, to work on the business instead of in it and to, to really, you fire yourself from the jobs that you don't want to do in the business. That's been really nice. <laughs> How about you, Brian? Yeah, I think Scotty said it perfectly. I would say like for me, because I'm you know more focused on the product side, building our product team and getting to the point where we can actually add a lot of value on the product side and continue to choose what direction we want to go with as far as our customers are concerned or potential customers. So I'm really excited to like take on the product side again, build more features because I think there's a ton of opportunity. There's more opportunity than we realized in our marketplace and even in our product category that we haven't even tapped into. So I think there's several different directions that we can go. So I think it's exciting to go after a direction, see where that takes us, and you know maybe even enter into new markets down the line. I was going to ask what's next for Gather itself, but I think you answered that question right there. Thanks again so much for joining me for this Where Are They Now episode of Tiny Seed Tales. If folks want to keep up with what you're working on, gatherit.co. That's the one. Thanks for joining me, you two. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thanks to Brian and Scotty for coming back on the mic with me. I hope you enjoyed that look back episode. Thanks for joining me every week. It's great to have you. And I'll be back in your ears again next Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm.